This episode of GameScoop is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're looking for a way to make your business stand out and succeed online, Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you. They take the stress out of creating an awesome website, engaging with your audience, and selling anything from products to content to time so you're able to focus on, you know, everything else. In other words, you'll have more time for gaming. With the new guided design system, you can choose from curated layouts and styling options to build a unique online presence from the ground up, optimized for every device. And with Squarespace's integrated, optimized SEO tools, you'll show up more often to more people. Squarespace doesn't just make things easier for you. Checkout for your customers is made seamless with simple but powerful payment tools that allow you to accept credit cards, PayPal, and Apple Pay. And in eligible countries, offer the option to buy now and pay later with Afterpay and ClearPay. So whether you're just starting out or looking to expand your existing brand, be sure to visit squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com gamescoop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com gamescoop for 10% off. You know, when it comes to wireless carriers, sometimes what you see isn't always what you get. Except with Visible. With Visible, what you see is exactly what you get. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. With Visible, there are no hidden fees, no fine print, no hassle, nothing to hide. It's just $25 a month, all taxes and fees included. And you don't need more than one line of wireless to save. You can save on a line all to yourself with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. And again, just $25 a month. The future of wireless is here and it is transparent. If you want more transparency in your wireless plan, you want to be on the Visible plan. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. That's Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. What you are about to hear is a little piece of video game history. In 1982, a book was published with the simple title, Video Games. We recently came into possession of a copy of this book. The cover reads, Here it is. It's the amazing true story of how it all began. Here's the thrill, the excitement, and the fun of video games. I'm Damon Hatfield. Myself and a few IGN friends will now read this book to you. Remember... These words are coming from 1982. Here we go. This is Video Games, the audiobook. Chapter 1. The Hottest Game in Town. If you've been living in a very deep cave for the last four or five years, you may never have heard of Pac-Man, or Space Invaders, or Asteroids, or Donkey Kong, or Tron. If you come blinking and squinting out of your dark cave, you may be temporarily blinded by the flashing lights and shifting colors. You will be confused by the beeps and bleeps and the little electronic jingles. You may be alarmed by the ominous electronic voices warning of an alien intruder. And you will certainly wonder what all those people are doing pushing buttons, wiggling levers, and throwing one quarter after another down a slot. In short, if you have been completely out of touch, you may never have heard of video games. The rest of you know that video games are the hottest things around. You've already tossed down more quarters than you want to think about in the arcades. If you don't own a home video game, you want one. And if you do own one, you're anxiously awaiting for the latest cartridges and looking forward to a new improved model of the game itself. Most of the video game excitement has been created among the kids. But plenty of adults play the games too. They just may not play as well. Have you seen that guy with the gray beard at the corner machine? He chunks down one quarter after another, but his games never seem to last more than 60 seconds. Don't laugh, that may be me. 
While some adults love the games, others hate them and have tried to ban them. The games stir elemental passions one way or the other. The adults who love the games most of all are those who make them. Video games mean big, big bucks. If someone offers you stock in Atari or gold, take the Atari. It's better than gold. Video games have not been around very long. The video game picture is constantly changing, but the games themselves are no fad. They are exciting, almost hypnotic entertainment. Millions of people are spending billions of dollars playing them every year. The technology of the games is always being improved, and the games of tomorrow are going to be more colorful, more exciting, and better all around than the games of today. Part of the excitement of the games is waiting to see what's next. In short, video games are here to stay. So, since you're going to be spending the next few years of your life jiggling joysticks and pushing action buttons, you should know something about how the games work. And you're going to have to learn a few new words. The real experts toss around words like software and microprocessors. If you don't want to feel left out, you would better know what they mean. Spend a few minutes with this book, and you too can sound like an expert and really impress your friends. The first word you have to learn is computer. A video game is basically a computer. I know a computer is supposed to be something that makes out the gas bill, but computers do lots of other things. One of the things they're best at is playing games. Computers have a memory. In fact, they have two kinds of memory. The first is called the read-only memory, or ROM. The ROM contains all the basic information about a game, what it's going to look like, and what's supposed to happen. The second type of memory is random access memory, or RAM. RAM memory is short. It contains the score, the number of Pac-Man or buckets or spaceships you have left in your turn, and so on. All the instructions for how a game is going to work are called the program. Programs are also called software. The arcade or coin-op games are specially designed to use a single program. You can play only one type of game on each machine. On your home video system, you can play different games. It is programmable. Each time you want to play a new game, you put in a new cartridge. Now, don't tell me that the cartridge you put in home video is hard, and then ask why it's called software. Programs are called software no matter what sort of container they come in. The hardware is the computer itself. On a home video system, that's the console you plug the cartridge into. The guts and heart of the computer are tiny chips of silicon called microprocessors. In many ways, the tiny microprocessors are the real heroes of the video game story. Without them, all those greedy little gobblers and alien spaceships and barrel-throwing gorillas would never have been possible, or at least not very practical. Even though it was possible to build a video game 20 years ago, the game would have been the size of your room and would have cost thousands of dollars, since big computers were used for game playing at that time. With the microprocessors, the machines could be brought down to reasonable size. They make the machines cheaper and more reliable. The silicon chips are also what make digital watches and electronic calculators possible. Now you know about the hardware and software, but where do you, the game player, come in? You are the input. When you move your joystick or press the action button or run your fingers over the keyboard, you send a message into the computer. Let's say you move the joystick left. The message is, Pac-Man, move left. The computer is also getting messages from the program. These messages say, monsters catch Pac-Man, get to him by the shortest possible route. So the monsters move left. The machine reacts to you. You move up to get out of their way. You have to think and move faster than the machine. Every time Pac-Man eats a dot, that sends a message to the RAM. That message adds points to your score. 
There could be a lot of different messages going into the machine at the same time, but the computer can handle it. All of this information, action and reaction, scores and number of gobblers left, is displayed on a video or television screen. That's where the name video game comes from. It takes only microseconds for this information to be displayed on the screen. Computers are very fast. The form the display takes, Pac-Man and the monsters, spaceships, or a stupid gorilla, for example, depends on the program. The pictures are called graphics. The bangs, buzzes, little tunes, and voices are all part of the program, too. You're not going to react the same way every time. Neither will the computer. If the computer reacted exactly the same way every time you did something, you would soon catch on. You could beat the machine easily. It wouldn't be much fun. Most programs have what is called a random event generator. This means that sometimes you can predict what the computer will do, and sometimes you can't. It keeps you guessing. That's what makes a video game a real contest. Okay, that's enough heavy information for a start. Now let's turn back the clock to those not-so-thrilling days of yesteryear. The year's BP, before Pong. I'm Greg Miller, and this is Chapter 2, The Sons and Daughters of King Pong. Legend around the arcades has it that the age of video games began in 1972. It was then that a bright young computer technician named Nolan Bushnell introduced a game called Pong. True enough, Bushnell's introduction of Pong was a great moment in video game history. But Electronic Games, the magazine of video and computer games, puts the beginning of the age of video games 10 years earlier. In 1962, Steve Russell, a graduate student at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, decided that it would be great fun to create an entertainment program he could run on one of the school's computers. What Russell came up with was a game called Space War. It quickly became a great favorite with programmers all over the country. It provided a nice change from working with business and scientific problems. Among those who spent a lot of time playing Space War were a couple of other MIT students, Bill Pitts and Nolan Bushnell. Both of them thought that computer games might have commercial possibilities. They both worked out versions of Space War. Bushnell's version was called Computer Space, Pitts the Galaxy Game. Both games were tried out on the public. Neither was much of a success. In the 1970s, coin-operated computers were already in the arcades, but they were used for such things as a computer quiz. You put in your coin and picked a topic. A series of multiple-choice questions on that topic flashed on the screen. You chose the answer. The computer told you if you were right or wrong and totaled up the score. Computer Quiz was a simple and limited machine. It never attracted a wide following. It was too much like a quiz at school. Bushnell wasn't ready to give up quite yet. He decided that the problem with his computer space game was that it was too complicated. Sure, it was the sort of thing that computer engineers like to play, but most people out there were not computer engineers. The public wanted something quicker to learn, and more entertaining. In 1972, Bushnell built a new game in his garage. It was called Pong. The name is one half of Ping Pong, because that's what the game most resembled. A little electronic dot could be batted back and forth across the screen with electronic paddles controlled by the player. It was certainly simple. Bushnell first tried to interest the Bally Corporation, the big pinball manufacturer, in Pong. The pinball men couldn't see it. They didn't think the game had a future. That was not one of history's greatest predictions. To be fair, very few thought video games had a future, and Bally was to recoup its air brilliantly in just a few years. Bushnell had to go it alone. He formed his own company. He gave the company the name Atari. 
It's a Japanese word used in a game called Go. It means what checkmate means in chess. Bushnell built a coin-out version of Pong. He tried it out in a Sunnyvale, California bar called Andy's Cap. The game was an immediate hit. It soon began turning up not only in arcades, but also in pizza parlors, candy stores, bowling alleys, and any place else kids might hang out. Nolan Bushnell wasn't the only one working on video games. The Magnavox Corporation of Knoxville, Tennessee was one of the U.S. manufacturers of TVs. An engineer named Ralph Baer developed a home video game system. He had been working on such a system since 1966. He had showed the system to several manufacturers, and in 1972 he showed it to Magnavox. Magnavox bought it. The result was the Odyssey system. Odyssey was programmable. With it you could play about 20 games, including a Pong-like game. Some people believe that Bear, not Bushnell, should get credit for developing Pong-style games. Magnavox continued to improve Odyssey over the next few years. It sold, but it didn't take off. The world just wasn't ready for a home video game yet. But Magnavox didn't give up. They improved their system, and they managed to build up a modest home video business. Perseverance has paid off. Today, Magnavox is one of the leaders in home video games. As the technology improved, other companies got into the home video business. One of the most successful is Coleco. Coleco's Telstar Arcade was a favorite gift under a lot of Christmas trees in 1976. Bushnell's Atari company made a deal with Sears. A home version of Pong was marketed by the giant company. In many ways, the Sears Pong wasn't as good as the other home video systems then available. But it was a lot cheaper, and it was generally simpler to operate and more reliable. The first arcade, or home game, most Americans played was Pong. But Sears's Pong and Coleco's Telstar and all the other home games were just games. Kids played them and forgot them. The real glamour of video games today comes not from the home games of the mid-1970s, but from the arcades. Atari was still plugging away at the arcades. Bushnell developed a number of different types of driving, sports, and battle games. His biggest hit after Pong was Breakout. Electronic Games says that it was a significant advance over the early, crude ball-and-paddle programs. About this time, Bally, which had originally turned down Pong, was beginning to wonder if it had made a mistake. Video games were turning up everywhere. People were dumping quarters into them instead of into more traditional games like pinball. Perhaps video games were more than a passing fad. Bally put out a couple of video games of its own. One was called Gunfighter. Two cowboys shot electronic bullets at each other. Despite the Old West setting, the game had been developed in Japan. Over in Japan, some big-time game manufacturers were already becoming aware of video games. The Japanese are great game players. Their favorite game was Pachinko, a pinball-like game that you could bet on. There were pachinko parlors all over the place. Restaurants and coffee shops all had pachinko machines. Then, in 1978, pachinko was suddenly in trouble. The trouble was caused by a little electronics company called Taito Limited. Taito began marketing a game in which the player had to shoot down lines of funny-looking aliens. It wasn't just a target game. The aliens could shoot back. The name of the game, as you have doubtless already guessed, was Space Invaders. Space Invaders was the real breakthrough in popularity of video games in Japan and in the United States as well. The Japanese are among the world's leaders in electronic and computer technology. They also love science fiction. The combination of games, technology, and science fiction was irresistible. Taito placed 100,000 games in the first year. The Japanese went crazy over the funny-looking little aliens. They spent some $670 million on the game. Almost overnight, Space Invaders had pushed out the traditional pachinko machines. Instead of a quarter, the Japanese machines used 100 yen pieces. The Bank of Japan had to triple the production of 100 yen coins just because of Space Invaders. 
What succeeds in Japan does not always succeed in the United States, but Bally's manufacturers decided that it might now be the time for the big video game breakthrough. How right they were this time. Bally got the U.S. rights to Space Invaders in 1978. Over the next two years, Bally manufactured more than 60,000 games. Space Invaders is no longer being manufactured. It hasn't been for a long time. But in most large arcades, there is still one or two units lying around. A lot of arcaders still find it a challenging and exciting game. And there are those who play it for old time's sake. Space Invaders created an industry all its own. There was, of course, a home video version of the game. There were small handheld versions and slightly larger tabletop versions. A Space Invaders program for home computers was sold. Tiny versions of Space Invaders were included in watches and calculators. There were Space Invaders posters and t-shirts. And of course there were the inevitable Space Invaders imitators. In 1979 and early 1980, a visit to a video game arcade was like a visit to a family of Space Invaders clones. It seemed that practically every game was the science fiction Space Invaders type. Space Invaders had made the public at large aware of video games, and a lot of people thought that was all there was to it. But the field didn't stand still. For some three years, Space Invaders reigned supreme in the arcades. Other games came and went, but most people still loved knocking off those little aliens. Then, in 1981, a new arcade game was introduced that knocked the popular Space Invaders out of its top spot. The game was Asteroids. The manufacturer was Atari. Asteroids 2 was a science fiction type of game. The player scored by zapping things. The player was to imagine himself the pilot of a spaceship making its way through an asteroid swarm. He had to avoid the asteroids and destroy them before they hit him. He also had to avoid and, if possible, destroy hostile UFOs that were shooting at him too. The game sounds a lot like Space Invaders, but it didn't look like the old classic, and it didn't feel like Space Invaders either. The dangers came at the player from all parts of the screen and at many different speeds. The player had more maneuverability. All of this was made possible by a new technical innovation called QuadraScan. In theory, asteroids could be played forever on a single quarter. The newspapers were filled with stories of kids who had stayed in front of the game for 12 to 14 hours at a stretch and accumulated scores of up to 30 million points. Asteroids also appeared as a handheld game, a home video game, and a program for the home computer. There was a rush of Asteroids imitations into the arcades. Atari even imitated itself with Asteroids Deluxe. It was supposed to be an improved version of the original, but a lot of people preferred the original Asteroids. By now you've probably noticed something. Practically all of the games we have talked about, except Pong, have been science fiction type games. Way back in 1972, the first popular game program was Space War. Then came Space Invaders and Asteroids and all their imitators. Science fiction games, and games in which the player scored by destroying things, completely dominated the arcade scene. Other types of games were possible. Other types were being produced. There were video sports games and driving games. But they were never as popular as Space War games. Why? Tradition was part of the reason for the science fiction dominance. That's what people were used to. That's what they had come to expect. And for a while, that was the type of game that the designers were best at making. Then, too, computers and science fiction seemed to go together. Computers were futuristic technology. Science fiction was about the future. It was a natural combination. The popularity of science fiction, particularly movies like Star Wars, also contributed to a lot of the popularity of games. The player could imagine himself to be Luke Skywalker, maneuvering through space and zapping Darth Vader's ships. Therefore, it came as a big surprise that the next arcade game superstar, the biggest video game to date, is as far removed from the science fiction type of games as Bugs Bunny is from Luke Skywalker. 
That game is Pac-Man, and Pac-Man deserves a chapter all its own. I'm Jared Petty, and this is Chapter 3, Pac-Man Conquers America. He was born in Japan, and there was no big fanfare when he came to America in 1981. Namco Limited, the Japanese company that invented him, figured he was too cute for a serious name, so they called him Paku Paku. Paku means to open the mouth and gobble in Japanese. By the time he crossed the ocean, it was changed to Pac-Man. Say Paku Paku fast a couple of times, and you will see why the name was changed. The Bally Company, which brought space invaders from Japan, also brought Pac-Man. A lot of experts predicted he'd die fast once he got to the arcades. After all, what did he have going for him? He wasn't a war game or a sports game, an invasion from outer space kind of game, or a racing car game. No, he was a maze game. And there weren't many mazes among the top 20 video games before he came along. Did he show them? The experts forgot that mazes have fascinated people since the time of the ancient Greeks, when the hero Theseus had to find his way to the center of a labyrinth, another word for maze, and kill the Minotaur, a scary bull-like monster that lived there. Even today, puzzle makers put out lots of books of mazes. You solve these by drawing a pencil line through the maze until you escape from the other end. Any kid who has ever been in a house of mirrors or the haunted house at an amusement park has been in a form of maze. England's famous castle, Hampton Court, built by Henry VIII, has a maze built from bushes and shrubs. I once wandered around in it lost for an hour before I found my way out. So there's nothing new about the maze craze. But the idea of a video character with charm was new. Bally's Pac-Man became the number one success story, the superstar of video arcade games. According to the Wall Street Journal, nearly $1 billion in quarters was devoured by Pac-Man coin-op machines in the game's first year in America. The home version of Pac-Man, manufactured by Atari, may make more money than the movie Star Wars. Pac-Man is expected to sell 9 million cartridges in 1982 alone. The microchip itself costs about $1.50 to produce. Then there's another $1.50 to package the chip and pay Namco Limited in Japan for the rights to make the cartridge. Finally, there's money to be spent advertising Pac-Man. Still, with cartridges costing between $20 and $40, we are talking about millions of dollars in profits. No wonder a lot of people think Pac-Man looks like a little round gold coin. He is fondly referred to by arcade owners as a real quarter sucker. The big question is why? What makes Pac-Man special? For one thing, the controls are simple. Some of the arcade games are hard to play, requiring a lot of complicated maneuvers. Not so with Pac-Man, or Packy, as he is sometimes lovingly called. A simple four-direction joystick is all you have to worry about. Then there are the sound effects. He sounds different gobbling dots from when he's eating monsters. Speaking of monsters, Packy isn't the only one in the game with personality. They're pretty cute in their own right. Each is a different color, and their personalities are different, too. There's the terrifying Blinky, yellow-orange Clyde, the fast-moving Pinky, and Bashful, alias Winky. Then there are the prizes, bells, medals, keys, gold and silver bars, depending on your level of skill. And the halftime shows are little cartoon skits that make the game even more fun. 
Pac-Man presents super graphics, not the type that dazzle you in a cold science fiction way, but very human, very personal. The same thing that makes us love the cartoon characters on Saturday morning television makes us love Pac-Man and the monsters. They make us think they're real. One of the big reasons for Pac-Man's popularity is that girls like him just as much as boys. Before Pac-Man, arcades were mostly for boys who liked to play the Space Zap games. A lot of people thought that that would never change. Even arcade owners were surprised when girls started showing up to play Pac-Man. Of course, girls' interest in video games wasn't caused just by Pac-Man. Video games had spread to restaurants, airports, supermarkets, convenience stores, places that weren't strictly boys' territory. And the girls started to play them. This is the best thing that could have happened to video games, because manufacturers of the games came to realize that there was a huge untapped audience for their product. They had to redesign their games to reach that audience, and that meant coming up with new concepts, delivering a wider range of ideas. One result of this is Ms. Pac-Man. She has long eyelashes and wears a bow in her hair, but she's just as hungry as Packy himself. In a way, she's more of a challenge than old Packy, because her maze changes every other board. Still, never underestimate Pac-Man. According to Bally officials, new variations are in the works. One involves a maze that disappears when Pac-Man eats an Energizer. Try that one if you think the present maze is tough. The big news in the world of Pac-Mania in the spring of 1982 was the introduction of home video Pac-Man games. Since everybody seems to like Pac-Man, girls, boys, old people, kids in kindergarten, Pac-Man cartridges sold like crazy. Stores were taking orders way in advance. When the cartridges finally arrived, crowds formed, and Pac-Man was sold out on the spot. Any kid who was first on his block to own an Atari home video Pac-Man cartridge felt like the luckiest kid in town. Of course, home video Pac-Man is not the same as arcade Pac-Man. Instead of monsters, you have ghosts, though they look just about the same. Pac-Man himself is no longer all mouth. He has an eye. Some people complain that the home video model lacks the personality of the arcade game and that the controls are difficult. Still, I found myself hooked on home video Pac-Man the day I was at last able to find a cartridge at our local department store. The controls take a little practice, but after you get the hang of them, you'll find you move from level 3 to level 6 quickly, and it's exciting. The running ghosts really lead you a merry chase. Of course, you reverse all that when you become the hunter and chase them. Maybe that's part of Packy's appeal, too. The ability to switch places in the same game, to be both pursuer and pursued, and still remain the same character. Will there ever be a better game than Pac-Man? Perhaps its unusual blend of being easy to learn yet requiring skill and strategy to play will never be repeated or at least not repeated with such an irresistible cartoon character as Pac-Man. As you guide Pac-Man across your television screen, you see the entire game constantly from his point of view. In a way, you are Pac-Man. Psychologists have a word for this, identification. It's going to be tough for video game manufacturers to come up with a better character to identify with than Pac-Man. They know it, too which is why Pac-Man has moved from the arcades to home video, and even to battery-operated electronic games. Coleco has introduced a tabletop variation of Pac-Man for kids, eight years and up. There is a non-electronic board game version of Pac-Man. Video game manufacturers have accused each other of stealing the Pac-Man idea, 
and making imitations of the original. There's a lawsuit going on right now with Atari and Bally on one side and Magnavox Odyssey on the other over the company's cute little chewer, KC Munchen. But lawsuits are inevitable in any new field while the rules are still being worked out, and home video only goes back a very few years. Though it has hit the world with the force of a giant, the video game industry is still in its infancy. There have already been plenty of lawsuits, and there will be more. Now, one last question. Is Pac-Man just a fad? Will you forget all about him until one day a few years from now when you reach into your closet and find an old Pac-Man t-shirt and say, hey, I remember him? It's too early to tell, of course, even though Pac-Man has inspired hit songs like Pac-Man Fever, Columbia Records Hit, and decorated towels appeared in books, and is slated to appear in pajamas, towels, trays, you name it. Furry Pac-Man dolls are in the offing. Will it all blow over? Or will Pac-Man join the ranks of the immortal superstars of our time, like Snoopy and Miss Piggy? Well, like I said, it's too early to tell. But you wouldn't catch me betting against the little fellow with the big mouth. Save those Pac-Man shirts. I am Samuel James Claiborne, and this is Chapter 4 of Video Games by Daniel Cohen. Where have all the pinballs gone? Once upon a time, there were penny arcades. These were areas with a large selection of coin-operated machines. Penny arcades could be found mainly in amusement parks and vacation areas. At first, games were pretty simple. There were pellet guns for target shooting, mechanical claws that grabbed worthless prizes, and mechanical baseballs. The machine that came to dominate the arcade was the pinball machine. Pinball machines first made their appearance during the Great Depression of the 1930s. People needed cheap entertainment, a way to escape their troubles. But by that time, the arcade wasn't a penny arcade anymore. Prices went up to a nickel, then a dime, and finally a quarter. But whatever the price, the pinball remained king of the arcade. In pinball, the player uses a plunger to send a steel ball rolling around the playing surface of the machine. The ball hits various objects, called bumpers, or falls into holes, or rolls through gates. Each of these is worth a certain number of points, and each sends the ball shooting off in a different direction. A player can run up a huge score. Scores are displayed in lights on a glass panel in back of the machine. Usually, each coin buys the player five balls. If the score is really large, the player earns extra balls. The pinball wizard can play for quite a long time on a single coin. In pinball, the player can control the movement of the ball to a degree. Flippers, activated by buttons, knock the ball back onto the playing surface. The ball can also be moved around by gently lifting or pushing the machine. But not too hard. Too much movement and the word tilt will light up on the back glass. Once the machine registers tilt, the game is over. Pinball machines themselves are very colorful to look at, and during play, lights flash and bells ring. Pinball was an exciting game, and it still is. From the 1930s onward, the pinball machine was the king of the arcades. Pinball also moved out of the arcades, and pin machines were found in bus stations, bars, shopping centers. In the 1970s, the machines even inspired music, a rock opera, Tommy, by the British group The Who. The hit song from Tommy was Pinball Wizard. The song climbed to the top of the charts, and it inspired a burst of enthusiasm for pinball. Pinball was popular, but it was never completely respectable. Adults complained that kids were wasting their time and money. They said arcades were sleazy places. 
Some towns banned pinball machines completely. Still, people went on playing the games where and when they could. In the 1970s, pinball was as vigorous as ever. At first, video games didn't seem to be much of a threat to pinball supremacy. That's what the pachinko manufacturers in Japan thought, too. But by the 1980s, King Pinball had been dethroned throughout the arcades of America. People are still playing pinball, and new machines are being made, over 100,000 in 1981. The new pinball machines are bigger, flashier, and more gimmicky than ever. Some talk to you. Others are huge. They use baseball-sized steelies, but they can't compete for your quarter. In most arcades, there are just a few pinball machines stuck in odd corners, for old times' sake. The new arcades sometimes don't have any pinball machines at all. Some children growing up right now may never see a real, live pinball machine. Old machines are valuable. They sell as antiques. The outside of a pinball machine is usually much flashier than the outside of the average arcade video game. The pinball machine makes a satisfying variety of buzzes and bongs. And they really are fun to play, for a while. But when you get right down to it, it doesn't matter if the game is called Ballyhoo, the name of the original pinball machine, or Dolly Parton, the name of one of the newer entries. The game is basically the same. A little steel ball is rolling around the playing surface, and the player doesn't have really that much control over what happens. The action in the video game varies enormously, and the player has far more control over the action and the score. As we saw in Chapter 2, video games really began in the arcades. While home video games are becoming more popular and more sophisticated every day, the arcade remains the best front line for the games. Many of the best home games are imitations or adaptations of popular arcade games. Sometimes gamers are disappointed with the home version of their favorite arcade game. The controls are not as responsive. The graphics are not as brilliant. The sounds are not as clever. The game itself is not as complex. Some arcade snobs look down their noses at home games. The two should not be compared. No home game can match an arcade game, for some pretty obvious reasons. The arcade game is a one-purpose machine. It is not designed especially to play a single game. The average arcade game costs anywhere from $2,500 to $3,000. That's a lot more than your home game costs. And the arcade game is much bigger. It contains technology that simply can't be squeezed into a small console and a TV set. So no matter how good home video games get, they're not quite going to replace the arcade games for quite a while. What makes a successful arcade game like Asteroids or Pac-Man? Nobody knows. Designers beat their brains out coming up with new gimmicks and new angles. Some of them catch on. Some of them don't. The stakes are high. A big winner can create millionaires. Here are some of the dollar figures behind the games. The average arcade game takes up about nine square feet of space in an arcade or store. That's not much. The game uses very little electricity, and it doesn't break down very often. An average game in an average location will take in anywhere from $200 to $800 a week. That means in a few months, the game can make back its initial cost. A good machine in a good location can take in as much as $2,000 in a week in quarters. It can pay for itself in two weeks. After that, it's all profit. Manufacturers generally sell their machines to distributors. The distributors then lease the machines to arcades, stores, movie theaters, or wherever. Usually the distributor then takes half of what the machine pulls in. The other half goes to the owner of the place where it is located. On a popular game, the profits mount up fast. 
Every new game seems to do well at first. Everyone wants to try the latest challenge, but many of the games do not have any staying power. Even a moderately successful game lasts only six months to a year. Then it's off to the scrap heap. The superstars of the arcades, games like Space Invaders and Asteroids, are still pulling in quarters years after they were introduced. But gradually, they too will fade away, because they are no longer being manufactured. In fact, except for the game Superstars, a three-month manufacturing run is considered good. When a game is at the height of popularity in the arcades, it is already on its way out for the manufacturer. We've heard about the winners. What about the flops? There are a lot of flops, says Electronic Games editor Bill Kunkel. There's Shark Attack, where you control the shark and the chomp button. Bite the diver, and there are spurts of color that turn the water blood red. Another one shows a burning orphanage that has firemen holding nets, trying to catch children jumping out of the building. If they miss the kids, go splat, then turn into an angel and float off screen, and you don't get any points. Those are cute graphics, but I wonder if the makers have given any thought to what they are doing. That's sick. As soon as a game is successful, other manufacturers try to imitate it. No one tries to imitate the flops. After the success of Space Invaders, the arcades were filled with that type of game. Asteroids had its imitators. So does Pac-Man. If the imitations get too close, the manufacturers sue. Sometimes they win the lawsuits. Sometimes they don't. The lawyers have made a bundle off of video games, too. Usually, though, an imitation game can be made just different enough to be legal. It only takes about eight weeks to get a new machine out on the street. For that reason, the makers of a hot new game guard their secrets closely. They don't want a competitor out with there with an imitation of their new hit before they get a solid lock on the market. At moments, the fun world of video games seems a bit like the grim world of international spying. The publications of the video game industry regularly list the most popular games. Those involved in making and selling the machines check popularity charts as closely as people of the record industry check the charts of top record sellers, booksellers check the bestseller list, or movie makers check the list of most profitable movies. What's hot right now? It's hard to say because the list changes all the time. By the time you read this, it has undoubtedly changed again. But here is what the top 10 arcade games were in the early summer of 1982, according to the magazine Electronic Games. Number one was, of course, Pac-Man, the longtime favorite, which seems to keep gobbling right along despite rumors of its imminent fall from, pop from popularity. After that time came Tempest, Defender, Asteroids, another longtime favorite, Centipede, Battlezone, Berserk, Crazy Climber, Wizard of War, and Donkey Kong. Most arcade games are upright consoles, a rectangular box with a TV screen in it, but many popular games also appear in table form. The screen is set into the top of the table, and the player can sit rather than stand. The table-type game is most common in restaurants and bars. They are rarely found in arcades. A true arcader stands up to play. If you like to show off, the video arcade is a good place to do it. In most games, your score is right out there for everybody to see while you are playing. If you get the high score for the day, or for that particular machine, you can record your initials or name, and it will be flashed on the screen for all to see, or until someone else beats your score. In 1981, Omni Magazine ran an unconfirmed rumor contest. One of the runners-up in the contest was Larry Pike of Portland, Oregon. The rumor that he had heard or made up? Popular arcade games such as Asteroids, Space Invaders, and Tailgunner are programmed to record the initials of the highest scoring player. 
When you enter your initials, a photograph is secretly taken of you. The games are actually mechanisms for selecting, sorting, and training slave labor for duty in military spacecraft and starbases. People who get good at these machines disappear under suspicious circumstances. You won't find my initials in one of those things, no matter how good I get. You won't find my initials there either, because I'll never be that good. The rumor, of course, is completely silly, but you might try it out on a few of your friends. Who knows? It could worry them a bit and lower their scores. Then you might be able to beat them. In most arcade games, you don't really ever win. There is no jackpot at the end, but there is no time limit either. The better you are, the higher your score, and the longer you can play in a single quarter. If you get really good, you might be able to play for a half an hour or more on a single quarter, a good bargain. The real video game wizards try to set records by piling up the largest number of points and playing the longest time on a quarter. Local papers are always carrying stories about this or that kid who managed to keep playing Asteroids or Pac-Man for 10 or 12 hours until the machine broke. Such wonders are rare, but they do happen. And that brings up a question. During these marathon sessions, when does the player eat? When does he go to the bathroom? That depends on the player's endurance, and it depends on the game he is playing. In some games, the player can build up scoring reserves and so be able to get away briefly without losing the game. Other games contain small programming flaws that allow the player to find a good safe spot to rest. The flaws are less common and harder to take advantage of than an arcade rumor would have it. The makers of arcade games have to walk a thin line. The game has to be easy enough so that people can learn to play it quickly. If it is too complicated, people will become discouraged and give up. But the game can't be so easy that it can be played for hours on a quarter. There is obviously no profit in such a game. Besides, arcaders want a challenge, not a pushover. A major drawback for most arcade games is the instructions. The instructions for almost all games are pretty scanty. It takes even experienced gamers a couple of dollars before they learn to play adequately. The best thing to do with a new game is watch someone else play it first. Don't depend on instructions alone. How long before you become an expert? The kind of player who draws a crowd at an arcade? That depends on you, your reflexes, coordination, memory, and dedication. And it depends on the game. Some are a lot harder than others. Most experienced arcade watchers agree that it takes at least $40 or $50 in quarters to become good at any new game. The great success of Space Invaders and Asteroids left the general impression that all arcade games were warlike. The object was to zap the enemy, to destroy his spaceships before he destroyed you. For a while, the vast majority of arcade video games were of the zap type. Many still are. But the image of the arcade game is changing. The most popular arcade game of our time, Pac-Man, is a maze game, and so are the many Pac-Man imitators. Sports games have always had their fans, but they have never become a major part of the video, game, video arcade scene. Driving games, on the other hand, have always had a place in the video game arcade. In these, the player uses fairly realistic controls to guide his vehicle through a series of obstacles. No driving game has ever become an arcade superstar or the magnitude of Pac-Man, but they have a regular core of supporters who keep feeding them quarters. That encourages manufacturers to develop new and even more sophisticated driving games. A brilliant example of this is Sega Gremlins Turbo. Turbo comes in two sizes, the familiar upright console and a cockpit type. In the cockpit, the player sits down in front of the controls just as he would race in a real car. Controls consist of a steering wheel, gear shift, and gas pedal. But what's best about the game are its graphics. The scene changes from day to night. 
from city to tree-lined highway to dangerous oceanside curves. There are tunnels and twisting or ice-covered roads. All in all, a challenging and remarkably realistic experience. And speaking of graphics, there's a whole class of games that depend mainly on their graphics for popularity, and their popularity has been increasing. These have been dubbed the cartoon games. The class includes such favorites as Donkey Kong. Donkey is a rough translation of the Japanese word for stupid, Crazy Climber, Frogger, and Bally's new Kickman. A bonus for Kickman is that it includes a guest appearance by the ever-popular Pac-Man. That is perhaps the first guest shot for a famous video game character, but it won't be the last. For sheer graphic brilliance, you can't beat Zaxxon, another Sega Gremlin product. It is a mixture of driving and a zap game. You maneuver your ship in a fortress while fighting off enemy ships and confronting the ultimate weapon, the missile-firing enemy robot. The graphics have an incredible three-dimensional realism. Comparing the graphics of a game like Zaxxon to those of an old classic like Space Invaders is a bit like comparing stick figures to Rembrandt. The sounds, too, have progressed, way beyond the buzzers and bongs of the early games. The games really talk to you now. Greater realism and imagination in graphics is where the arcade games appear to be headed. I'm Brian Altano, and this is Chapter 5. There's no place like home. Why home video? Why not keep feeding your quarters into the arcade games? After all, the arcade games are more spectacular and offer you more of a challenge. If you're good, you'll shine like a star. You'll collect a crowd of admirers around you. It's harder to be a hero at home. But wait a minute. What if you don't like crowds? What if you'd rather be by yourself or with a small group of friends? Maybe you're happier at home than hanging out in an arcade. And what if you don't have an endless supply of quarters? Besides, how do you get to be good at anything except by practicing? Once you've bought your home video cartridge, you can practice as much as you want without having to worry about who's looking at you and without caring about whether you've got any more quarters. In home video, the more you use your cartridges, the more you get your money's worth out of them. So play it again, Sam. Okay, you're sold. You're ready to buy a home video system. So, you go down to a department store or a discount store and the confusion sets in. I remember when I used to go shopping with a friend who was a stereo freak. He was always looking for this new gadget or that new component. When he tried to help me put together my first stereo system, I thought I'd go crazy. I didn't know where to begin. So let's you and I talk about how to begin. Once you get past the hype, the jargon, and the complexities of computer technology, it's really simple. The three major home video game systems are Atari, Mattel, and Magnafox slash Odyssey. A new contender, Coleco, is making its appearance. If you shop at Sears, you can buy a variation of either Atari or Intellivision with a selection of cartridges from either of these companies and special cartridges made strictly for Sears. Atari, Mattel, and Odyssey all have a lot in common. They offer a wide variety of well-designed games with good graphics. You can't really go wrong with any of them. Still, they have their differences. The system that works for one person might be disappointing to another. So before you make your purchase, ask yourself what kind of person you are. Atari is the giant of the field. They make the most cartridges. There are now some 70 Atari game cartridges. Other game companies make cartridges compatible with Atari, but Odyssey does not. 
Odyssey's cartridges are for Odyssey. And Magic makes cartridges compatible with Odyssey and Atari. So, nice as it would be if there were a home video game system that took every new game cartridge, you just don't have that choice. There are new software companies entering the field all the time. The confusion will get worse. Let's get back to Atari. Besides variety, what else does it have to offer? Well, Atari has Space Invaders and Asteroids, two great video game classics. Its position as a leader in space games is secure, and Atari is uniquely suited to adapt major games for home video because Atari is a major manufacturer of arcade games. Atari's games are generally exciting and less complex than Mattel's. The controls have been criticized, but then I have heard and read criticisms of the controls on all the systems. The Atari paddle controllers are far more responsive than the joystick, but they are used less often. You can always buy an improved or specialized controller if you want. For example, Atari sells a driving controller that can be used in place of the joystick in their racing games. Atari has developed the Atari Super Game System, which will feature more advanced games with highly sophisticated graphics. The Super Game System is not meant to replace the Atari standard VCS video computer system. There will be plenty of new cartridges for the popular model so many kids already own. On to Mattel's Intellivision, intelligent television as they like to describe themselves. The Mattel system uses hand controls with buttons and a disc. Some people find that it takes longer to learn how to use these controls than the Atari controls, but that once learned, they provide great flexibility. Mattel is famous for its graphics. The pictures you see on your television are really beautiful and often very realistic. Though noted mainly for its sports action games, Intellivision has a line of space action games and, as a master coup, will present the home video version of Tron, based on the Walt Disney movie. Basketball 2 is a spectacular new sports game on its way. Mattel also offers strategy games like chess and learning games like Math Fun, and their prized fantasy adventure game is an advanced Dungeons & Dragons cartridge. If that isn't enough for you, Mattel is introducing Intellivoice. This is a brand new kind of module that allows you to plug in a special unit that actually talks to you. Yes, I mean it. It talks to you. As you play, you will hear a voice react to the game, give you advice, and, in general, try to enhance the fun. This is certainly a big breakthrough in home video games. Intellivoice can first be heard on cartridges such as Space Spartans, B-17 Bombers, and Bomb Squad. So consider Intellivision if you're patient and like a game that's challenging but slower than Atari. If you are especially interested in sports games, Mattel's Intellivision may be for you. To show you why, let's zoom in on one of Mattel's best games, Major League Baseball, which has been listed in the Electronics Games Magazine Hall of Fame. There are a variety of pitches. The batter can even bunt. The running game is beautifully detailed, and when there is a good play, you can hear the roar of the crowd. On to Odyssey. In 1972, Magnavos introduced... Oops. <laughs> on to Odyssey. In 1972, Magnavox introduced the first home video game called Odyssey. It was extremely simple and primitive naturally. In honor of this first game, the entire system born from it has been christened Odyssey. Or to be more precise, Odyssey 2. Odyssey has had a lot of experience, and here's what you get for it. The controls of the new Odyssey 2 system consist of both a keyboard unit and joysticks. You won't have to buy a lot of extra gadgetry. 
So you have both a simple and a complex system combined for no extra cost. One Cartridge Keyboard Creations allows you to create your own word and number games. Odyssey has fewer cartridges than either Mattel or Atari, but what they have is excellent and imaginative. Two of the best of the new ones are Monkey Shines, where the little apes swing, jump, and climb across endless monkey bars, and UFO. You must free space from the dastardly empire's blockade of Starbuster. Fuck you must free space from the dastardly empire's blockade of Starduster drone mines and hunter killer fireball satellites. The game also includes a display of the high score and player's name. That's common in the arcade but new to home video. Odyssey is also offering a voice module called Voice of Odyssey. Among other things, it will allow the user to play spelling games. If you like fantasy games, Odysseys are especially exciting. Their triumph is the famous Quest for the Rings, another game in Electronic Games Magazine's Hall of Fame. Ten rings of power lie hidden within the dark lands of the evil ringmaster. Fire wraths, bloodthirsts, and dragons guard the rings. The game has heroes and wizards and has blended the elements of both board and video games. What's more, instead of competing, the human player must cooperate in collecting the rings. The graphics are super, and the game is not needlessly complex. You can learn it and play it quickly, so don't overlook Odyssey when you do your shopping. There is one more system, a brand new one called ColecoVision, a product of Coleco Industries Incorporated. In addition to its own system, Coleco has started manufacturing cartridges that can be used with Atari and Mattel. These include the great arcade game Donkey Kong, the spectacular Zaxxon, and the zany lovable Smurf. This game is based on the blue stars of the hit Saturday morning television show. Coleco's full system will introduce a very precise game controller. Players will be able to change speed during actual gameplay or stop action altogether. A really super bonus is an expansion module, available separately, that allows you to use Atari software cartridges. So check out ColecoVision. When choosing your video game system, don't forget to check the price of the various units. Some, like Mattel and Coleco, cost more than others. You may feel it's worth it to spend more, but certainly, price is something you must keep in mind. You bought it in your home hooking up the system to your television. You feel like you're surrounded by black spaghetti. Untwisting wires is one of the negative sides of playing home video games. The tangle of wires is a distinct drawback to all the home video game systems. Hopefully, future technology will correct the difficulty. Let's say you have an Atari VCS. Most kids do. The game found most frequently in American homes is combat because it comes with Atari. Most Atari games have several skill levels. You can generally practice as an easy level and work your way up. Atari's graphics tend to be abstract and are often beautiful. For instance, look at Yar's Revenge, a space game where the good guys are mutant flies. Your video screen literally shimmers. It's as if you are in space. Even the sound has caught that. Recently, I conducted an extremely unscientific test. I asked the neighborhood kids what is their favorite games of all time. A lot said Breakout. If you think breaking through a brick wall was exciting, wait till you see Super Breakout. The new game glows with color, but even the color is secondary to the clear ring of musical notes. You'll feel like a composer. By the way, if you're a circus fan, Atari has a game called Circus, where clowns bounce upward, score, or downward, splat, from a seesaw. Knocking the ball around in Super Breakout requires similar maneuvers. Atari used good sound effects right from the beginning. Listen to the ominous tramping of noises of space invaders. Still, 
one of the all-time masterpieces among video games. But to see how quickly home video games have changed, try Warlords. The video screen is filled with action and the possibilities of play have increased. And wait till you see demons. Here the targets can actually be transformed into menacing enemies by your own mistakes. It's an exciting, quick-moving game. A true advance on your ordinary shooting game. Right now might be a good place to point out that Atari has games in every imaginable category. Like home video variations of arcade games, Atari not only has Pac-Man, but is also introducing the popular Berserk. So if this nutty game with evil Otto giving chase is your kind of fun, Atari has it. At home, Otto has, alas, lost his voice. Want howling winds, ghosts, and a search through a haunted mansion? Play Haunted House. It's not the easiest game to learn, but if you don't mind putting out a little effort... It's worth it. If you go for classic games, the type that in pre-video games were only played on boards, Atari offers you Othello, Checkers, 3D Tic-Tac-Toe, Chess, and Backgammon. Want a gambling game? Try Casino. There's a whole range of driving games, each with a different set of challenges. You can race down a hill or against the clock, follow a winding road at night where obstacles come at you from nowhere, or get smashed to smithereens and dodge them. Combat games, your specialty? You can blast away at enemies, pretend you're in a shooting gallery, drop make-believe's bombs into a canyon, be a gunfighter in the Wild West. S what? Hold on. Combat games, your specialty? You can blast away at enemies, pretend you're in a shooting gallery, drop make-believe bombs into a canyon, be a gunfighter in the Wild West. Sports fans will like basketball, football, golf, and Pele's soccer. If you enjoy practicing your pitching and batting, there's home run. For a change of style, try brain games and see how good your memory is. How are you at breaking secret codes? Take a crack at a video version of the old standby word game, Hangman. Remember, you don't have to play one kind of game all the time. You don't have to be a sports fan to play sports video games. And even if you're the top hitter on your school baseball team, you might find that when it comes to video games, you'd rather play Concentration. Though the things we like to do often affect our choice of video games, it's silly to be too rigid. And obviously, a company like Atari that makes so many games is bound to come up with an occasional dud. Still, to make full use of computer home video games, you have to be open to a wide range of imaginative possibilities. No Atari collection is complete unless it has a good sprinkling of software made by other companies for Atari. Parker Brothers, the company that makes some of the finest board games in the world, including the great classic Monopoly, has begun producing software compatible with Atari VCS. Starting with the Empire Strikes Back cartridge, they are developing a line of games based on Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back cartridge has Imperial Walkers attacking the Rebel base on the ice planet Hoth. This game should appeal to all you Star Wars fans. And practically everybody's heard of the Sega Gremlin arcade game Frogger. Thanks to Parker Brothers, Frogger will now leap across your video screen, first dodging traffic, then dodging deadly crocodiles as he tries to make it across a rushing river. If you want my vote on what is one of the best video games, I'd say Activision's Kaboom. If you don't already know the Mad Bomber, you might think about making his acquaintance. You try to catch the bombs he drops, but when your last bucket of water misses, wham, he's got you, and he grins to prove it. If you score above 10,000, you will wipe the grin off his face. In the chapter on Pac-Man, I said that Pac-Man was a great cartoon creation. Well, so was the Mad Bomber. Part of what makes this game engaging is his personality. You'll be seeing a lot more of this sort of approach in home video games. But I must confess, I find Activision an especially innovative and imaginative company. For example, I can tell you that Larry Kaplan designed Kaboom. It's much harder to find out who designed 
Design's Atari games. And although other game companies have fan clubs, Activision really goes out of its way to keep its followers informed. If you're really good at a game, you can join one of the Activision clubs. Just send a photo of your TV screen showing your score. If eligible, you'll get a patch or certificate. Atari games usually have more levels of play than Activision games, but Activision more than compensates for this by the clever use of graphics and design. Take Freeway. It's an update on the old story about the chicken crossing the road. Starting with Chicago's outer drive and moving on to other highways at busier times of the day, you try to guide the fluttering white bird to safety. It gets knocked around quite a bit in the process. What you hear through all this is astonishingly realistic noise of traffic. If you like sports games, Activision offers ice hockey, skiing, fishing, derby, boxing, and tennis. My favorite is tennis. Maybe because the controls work extremely well, maybe because I like to watch the pro dash madly around the court, and maybe because the players are not just dull shapes on the screen, as in so many sports games, but look like real tennis players. It is scored like the real game, and you can play it against the computer, the pro, or with a friend. It's very challenging. It's also cute right down to the shadow under the tennis ball. Like driving games, try Dragster and Grand Prix. In Grand Prix, you aim for speed. You have a choice of race courses, and if you pace yourself and practice, you'll be hypnotized by the game before you know it. Like a lot of other Activision games, girls as well as boys like Grand Prix. Dragster and Freeway. Activision games are exciting but not macho, with a strong emphasis on attractive visual effects. If you want strategy games, they offer Bridge and Checkers, and in the space game category, they have Laser Blast. It's a get-them-before-they-get-you sort of game calling for good timing. You'll love the color. A more complicated space game, Star Master is new from Activision. This one's complete with meteor showers and enemy particle cannons. You're piloting a spacecraft under attack and must rely on computer readouts for information to make decisions. A popular new space game is Megamania. Not only do you have to shoot down enemy ships, you also have to conserve your own power supply. Their new combat game is Chopper Command. You're flying escort for a truck convoy of medical suppliers when enemy aircraft appear. You have laser rockets. They have multiple warhead missiles. Around our house, the favorite Activision games are Stampede and Barnstorming. What's interesting about Stampede is that it requires you to do several different things at once. Not only must you lasso running cattle while riding a horse, but you must also keep your eye on the whole herd at once. Otherwise, you'll let a few get behind you and you lose points in the game. And if that isn't enough to worry about, every once in a while you'll see a black Angus bull. He's hardest of all to get because he's sitting still. And there's this skull you keep tripping over. A new game is Pitfall, a game with super graphics. The player must guide a traveler through a danger-filled jungle adventure in 20 minutes or less. Barnstorming's appeal is a little bit like Kaboom's. It has charm. Simply put, your little biplane must rise above towers and swoop through barns. Now come the touches that make Barnstorming clever. When the plane hits the towers, it really hits. You'll shudder along with the plane and you'll laugh. Or bang up against a barn. Boink! And of course, there are the geese. Let's see if you can avoid them, noisy little beasts. Activision has just started making cartridges for Intellivision. The first two are Pitfall and the new Stampede, both also available in Atari-compatible cartridges. Okay, you say all the games in this chapter sound great, but you haven't got all the money in the world. How do you make your choices? The best way is to find a store that will let you try the games out. Some will, some won't. You'll have to ask around. Another good way is to borrow games from a friend. If you like a game, you'll probably want to buy it sooner or later, but at least you'll know what you're getting before you spend any money. It might be worth your while to invest in a game program case to hold your cartridges and keep them in good condition. After all, the games aren't cheap. 
So use some judgment. Try to zoom in on the types of games you like. Then read the manufacturer's description of the games. You ought to get a feel for what is your kind of challenge. But don't be so practical you pass up new adventures. The home video market is booming and the games are likely to get better every year. Have fun. That concludes part one of Video Games the Audiobook. Let us know what you thought. If you enjoyed it, we'll record part two. You can always reach me at the email address gamescoop at IGN.com. We can hit me up on Twitter at Dame Zero. I'm Jamin Hatfield. Thanks for tuning in. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.